Well, welcome, listeners. I know it has been a long time since I have done any new podcasts. Um, and so I, I, I know that there have been some downloads and that you guys have been uh, downloading some of the, the previous content that, we, uh, that I've put out there. Um, today, we are going to actually, I say we, because I'm actually joined by my wife again, um, who is with me. Jennifer, you want to say hi? Hello. Um, and so we're going to do a podcast today on having a successful marriage. Now, that might, success might be something that um, everybody defines differently. The way we're going to define it is how to have a marriage that is pleasing to the Father. Um, how to have something that honors Him, that represents Him. Not just two happy people who pop out some kids and have a nice house and a white picket fence and they just, you know, they don't really ever have a whole lot of issues or problems. I'm talking about how do you have a successful marriage? And I think the simple answer in that is, is Christ. I mean, as Colossians 1 talks on, he's what holds all things together, right? So he's the glue within a marriage. But I think that's also a very easy cop-out to just say, well, it's just Christ. Um, there are practical things, perspectives, pursuits, all these things that go into having a successful marriage that is honoring to God. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today. So welcome. And I'm glad you guys are with us. I hope you've been blessed by a lot of the previous content uh, that we have a, just a, a plethora of things that are available for you um, in which we've gone over book studies or I've gone over book studies for for the last few years, um, even more than that. But today we're going to focus in on kind of a pop, popcorn style dialogue with one another, just me and my wife sitting here of what, what produces a successful marriage. And so for those of you who don't know, Jen and I have been married for, uh, tw- is it 22, 21 years. So this will be our 22nd year coming up in December. Um, we've got 10 kids and our 11th on the way that will be coming anytime now. And I'm sure that if you're like most people, your reaction, if you didn't already know that, is just a lot of like, are you kidding me? Um, we are not kidding. We do have 10. They all are our own, uh, and yes, we do know what causes it, as we get asked many times, and yes, we do have a TV, um, and so we get asked all sorts of questions, but we do have our 11th on the way, and I would say for us, our marriage has done nothing but get stronger over these last 21 years, moving on into 22. Um, when we first got married, we were both the, the runts of the litter, if you will. We are both the babies of our family. And <clears throat> the first year or so was a very difficult year. Um, it, we fought a lot. Um, divorce got talked about. There's probably actually not a lot of people who know this. Um, we talked about what our goals and aspirations were in marriage. We, we were very open and communicating, but there was a lot of baggage and a lot of selfishness, a lot of it being on my part, of just not understanding marriage. And I wish we would have had somebody who would have had a podcast channel at this time. I wish we would have had friends that would have had um, a shoulder to be able to come and lean on and, and a, um, an ear to listen to and a voice to speak into our life uh, of what would cause a successful marriage. Um, and so without kind of going into the details of what turned it, turned it around, it was essentially us pursuing Christ. So we're going to go back and forth and talk about some questions. And I'm just going to ask Jen right off the bat of what is your idea of a successful marriage? Um, what, what would you constitute that as? Um, I would say one that honors the Lord, makes him a 
and his word and his guidance and direction in their life. Um, not just for them individually and personally, but for the family and for their children and where they live and where they work and how often they work. Um, really anything that, um, any decisions that they would make pertaining to their marriage or their family, that they would go to him first and let him direct that and be willing to follow through with what he asks of them, trusting that he has the best plan for them. Yeah. So, so in essence, keeping Christ at the center of the marriage and not mm-hmm. just hanging verses up on the wall and not just let's make sure we go to church on Sunday, but a daily commitment to make Christ the center of the marriage and his word as the, the beacon for which shines the light on our direction of who we're going to be and what we're going to be. Yeah. Um, and I, like for me, I, I mean, totally agree. I mean, we're, we're on the same page. We oftentimes, I don't think we get made fun of, but we, you know, people do poke and prod at the, the fact that we finish each other's sandwiches, I think is the, the statement. No, we finish each other's sentences oftentimes. If I can't think of a word, she thinks of it. It's just we are on the same page on so much. And a lot of that is due to the fact that we look at the word and we say, here's what the word says and here's what we want to do. We don't try to manipulate it. We don't try to massage the word into what we want it to be. We simply say, here's what the word says, and it makes it so much easier. I mean, like for me, it makes it so much easier to say, here's what God tells us to do as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, um, and just simply as followers of him. Here's what he tells us to do. Let's just do it. And it just it keeps you on that same page. Where you get off is when one person says, I don't really want to do that. And this other person says, I do want to do that. And now you're not on the same page. But God has kind of knit us together because our hearts have been knit together with him um, in a pursuit of trying to abide in him. So let me ask you this. Share one thing just in in all the the 21 years um, looking back at things. But share one thing that you've done in our marriage that has contributed to our success. Just a practical, simple thing. Um, I think that, well, one of the first things that I did that contributed to our success spiritually is just to um, to let you take the lead and to cheer you on mm. in whatever that capacity was that you felt like God was leading us to do as a family. I would give you full support and, and, and not try to... <clears throat> Not try to step in and interject my own idea of what it should look like or or whatever. Basically, let go of control and just um, and let you lead and cheer you on and try to encourage you in that and be willing to take whatever, you know, whatever comes from that, just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously keeping it in, in line biblically sure, on that. Yes. but. So, so essentially the concept of submission, that, that word that many women and even men today don't like to bring up and talk about, um, just a biblical form of what Ephesians 5 talks on, 1 Peter chapter 3, and you know, even just the concept in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3 in the beginning of, of just submission. And I think oftentimes we forget that God works um, through our obedience. Uh, and, and when we choose to put ourselves in line with God's word, that's when God begins to work behind the scenes and he begins to change hearts. He begins to lead people in ways that otherwise I think that when there's pride involved, he won't do. Um, because as he says in First Peter 5, um, 5 and 6, God rejects the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves therefore under God and we come under a biblical alignment with his word, God works in ways that he otherwise doesn't. And so when 
You know, I, I would agree. And, and part of that helped me to begin leading well. Um, I've had my failures. I've had my stumblings in that. And there's been many times in which my inspiration has come from Jen in, in wanting to lead better. But her stepping back and not trying to take the reins from me um, was a huge catalyst for me in taking the responsibility to, to lead and to lead well. Um, and so... So, okay, so I've asked two questions now. Why don't you ask me a question and put me on the spot? Okay. Because um, I know it's probably different. My, I think my first question would be, growing up, how did you envision marriage looking? Oh, man. Um, how did I envision marriage looking? So, so everybody understands and knows this. We came up with these questions alone, like apart from each other. We didn't really talk about it. And intentionally, I wanted this to be like a spur of the moment type thing. So these questions are making us think because it's really the first time we've actually pondered on them. I specifically told Jen, I said, hey, I'm, I've got some questions. She said, I've got some questions. I said, good, don't premeditate uh, on what you're going to say in response. Just let it flow. So this is completely spontaneous. Um, all right, so what did I envision marriage looking like? Um, well, I mean, growing up for me, we, we went to, um, to public school and uh, my dad worked, my mom worked. And, you know, I think for a large majority of that, my dad worked during the days, my mom worked at nights. And then whenever I was at home, I got home from school, uh, my dad would oftentimes be busy in his office studying or reading um, doing other things. So I didn't have much of a relationship with my parents growing up. It was very rare that I actually got to just spend quality time with them. And so my idea of marriage when we first got married was I'm going to go off and I'm going to work and you're going to go off and you're going to work and we're going to pop out a handful of kids and then we'll send them off to public school and we'll just have the same mimicked lifestyle of what I grew up with. Um, and we we would have a relationship, but we wouldn't be best friends, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that what God has done for me over the years, when I began to pursue his heart, was he began to, to show me the possibilities of what it is when your spouse is your best friend. Not just simply because um, you get along really good. But because you have the same pursuit of Christ and he knits you together and he joins it together, um, that my idea of marriage now is that we're a team and we have a mission. And it's more than just worldly happiness and worldly things and, and carving a niche for us in this life. And it's even more than just leaving a legacy, as I hear a lot about today. It's more about what can we do to honor and serve Christ together as a team on the mission that we have for heaven. And I think that's, that's the difference of what I thought when we first got married as opposed to now. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it did. Actually, it answered my second question, too. How has that changed over the years? So, <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Same page, right? That, that oneness that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and, and I think that that's it. Is when I began to, to seek to become a man after God's own heart, um, like even just the concept of children, we've talked about this a few times before. When we first got married, I wanted two, and Jen wanted six, and... You know, we're not quite there yet, I guess, but um, 
God thought maybe it was funny if he would just multiply the two. You know, we're at 11, so maybe that means we got one more. Um, but after Corbin was born, our firstborn, you know, the experience of it wasn't what you what you saw in movies. Um, I even remember when Jen first told me that she was pregnant. She she came up and she I think you showed me the. Um, uh, the pregnancy test strip and, and you're like showing it to me and I was oblivious. I was like, what's this? I mean, I can put two and two together, but I don't know how to read these things. And so she was like, I'm pregnant. And in the movies, everybody's like, they hug and they kiss and they're like, yay. We're so, and I just didn't feel that. I remember giving her a hug and I just gave her like, yay. Um, and I, it wasn't something that I was just super excited about. And the experience wasn't what you see in the movies and the birth. I mean, his head came out and it looked elongated. And I was like, what is wrong with my child? Um, but I remember after the first three to four months, he cried all the time. And it was just so high maintenance of being a dad. Um, and I didn't even do the bulk of the work. I went down to saying, I don't want any more. Like, I want none. None after this. I'm done. And Jen went down to three, which was a big thing for her because she loved big families. And the concept of what I wanted in marriage, as opposed to what God wanted, all changed when my perspective shifted. And it was no longer about what I wanted. It was about what God wanted. And yielding that to him, the concept of submission, again, um, when I yielded that to him and I said, this marriage belongs to you, the womb belongs to you, our lives belong to you as, as a spiritual worship, as he says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everything belongs to you. God began to change my heart. I began to see that as it says in his word that God loves children, right? He desires all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth as, as he talks about in Timothy. And so God's desire is to have large families. God's desire is for a lot of children. And I began and I, I wrestled with it at first because that's a lot of work. But when you yield your life to him and he says, look, if you're going to take my heart upon you, then that means that you're going to want the same things that I want. And so at that point, it then became not what I want as far as how many children I want. It was, God, what do you want for us? Here is the quiver. Fill it with what you want. And I believe in, in my estimation and, and you know, verifying it through the word, I believe that's the biblical way of presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God. It's not about how many you want. When you are a person after God's own heart, it becomes what he wants for you. And I think when we yielded that, it's probably one of the biggest elements that I could say has um, helped us in our marriage is when we yield, yielded to him what he wanted for us, not what we wanted. And then he began to just unfold all the riches of heaven for us in so many ways that we've seen over the years. Provision, peace, um, even just protection, like spiritual protection. We used to have a home fellowship that would meet in our house. And I think it's one of those things a lot of people don't realize that when you have people who are coming in, you have no idea who they are. You don't know, how, you don't know where they've been, whether that's physical or spiritual. And you don't know what they're bringing in. And for the fact that God had protected us over those 10 to 12 years of having a spiritual protection over our home from some of the stuff that was being brought in um, so that it didn't affect our children in such a way to where they're not following the Lord, they're not serving the Lord, uh, is only something that we can give um, praise and honor and glory to Him for doing. Um, and so there's so many ways that when we yielded to Him that the success of our marriage began to skyrocket. Um, and so that's, I would say that's one of the areas of like how it's changed over the years. Yeah. And so 
Um, okay, so let me go to one of my questions. Um, and maybe this, this can be for you guys out there. I don't know how many guys are going to listen to a marriage podcast, but I can tell you that would be super fruitful um, in this one to be able to listen to some perspectives on this. But it says, in your, in, it says um, I'm reading these off of what I have typed up. In your perspective, what are some common reasons why men become spectators in their marriages and how can wives help their husbands if they have become spectators? And do you understand what I mean by spectators? I think so. That's what okay. I was going to say. If I understand you correctly, what you're saying is um, maybe instead of being sorry, go ahead. Instead of being participants, yeah, they just kind of are on. They're they're the a fan um, on the sidelines in the stands rather than somebody who's on the field playing. Um, they're cheering you on, but they're not actually really involved. Maybe a, a fan would be a better way than somebody who's actually on the field playing with you. Uh, I would say. Oh, that's that's kind of a tough one because I think it can be yes. multiple things, but I think oftentimes what I see is that um, as women we tend to have uh, control issues, and I think for many men they want to be involved. They want to be hmm. yeah, just point. as much as a contributor um, with the children or um, maybe they don't all like washing dishes, but I'm saying like, as far as just making decisions as a family and um, decisions, what are, what are the what are we going to do with the children? You know, whatever they want to be involved in those decisions, but oftentimes, I think maybe they feel like they don't have a platform to give their opinion, and if they do, it's not going to matter anyway. And so, really, I mean, as a society, I think women have trained men to be quiet, yeah, and just follow rather than lead and. Um, I try to encourage many women to support their husbands in that role and give them that space to make those decisions and lead. Because deep down, it it isn't the woman's desire to lead. Um, it's kind of a catch-22. Like, they right. step in enough that then the husband doesn't feel like he can lead. But then the wife feels like, well, my husband doesn't lead, so I have to do it. And, and really, they just need to both step back and give each other the proper space. Um, and permission to step into the role that they were created to be in. Not that women don't have a voice and they don't have great ideas, um, but there's a fine line between um, sharing ideas and having your voice heard and just taking the reins. And yeah. I, I feel, I think I've seen in, the, in my experience in talking and listening to other women and even listening to, to men sometimes in, in group conversation and stuff. What if you listen hard enough, you hear more than what's actually yeah. being said. And That's a good point. I do feel like men want more of an opportunity. They just don't know how. They don't feel equipped. Um, and maybe it would be a wife saying, "Hey, I'd love for you to be a part of this with me. Let me show you how I've, mm-hmm. you know, come to think this works most efficiently, or whatever." But then giving him space too to kind of figure out how to do it the way he would do it mm-hmm. and, and not nitpick it to death and be critical. Yeah. And I think that's um, a big concept is criticism is like there's, there's, there's something said for evaluating and there's something said for bringing things to light that might not be um, the best things, right? And, and we, I mean, we, we can call it judging. Right, I mean, we don't like that word today, but essentially it's just fruit inspector is what the word means in the Greek. And so to to simply say, look, hey, um, here's some ways that it's helped me. 
Here's some ways that I've done it. Here's some way that, but giving them that space to not just cr- criticize every little thing that they do, um, but to look beyond that and say, are they trying? Yeah. Like, are they trying? Well, then pull that out. Yeah. Don't judge the things and criticize the things that they're just doing wrong in their efforts to lead, but encourage them in their efforts to lead and say, hey, I see that you're trying, and I am so thankful for that. Um, what do you think about this? What do you think about this scripture? You know, things that are going to help direct them to maybe to lead better, but encourage them along the way in their leadership. And I think a lot of it comes down to in Genesis, right? In in chapter Mm 3, it says that your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. It's it's God's hierarchy, right? He he establishes that in Corinthians. He establishes that in Genesis 3. He establishes that in um, Ephesians chapter 5. God's hierarchy of whenever we fall in line with that hierarchy, God steps up. Right, yeah. um, and he shines forth, and so I think a lot of it comes down to naturally the woman's desire is control, like what you said. Mm-hmm. They want to be in control, um, but God has instituted that in the marriage, the husband is to be over the wife, not in a condescending way. As First Peter three talks on, so honor your wives as the weaker vessel, um, because he says for the sake of your prayers, so that your prayers cannot be hindered. Um, that sense of control is what oftentimes the wife wants. She wants to pull the reins when she wants the, the reins pulled. She wants to let go and she wants to do what she wants to do, which is why oftentimes I see women who are who were single moms um, and then they get married, there's the huge dynamic of, of problems that happen because they have learned for several years, maybe even longer, how they get to be in charge with how their children are raised and what they get to do and how they lead the household. Then they come into a dynamic of being under a man and it's like, whoa, hold up a second. Power struggle. And there's a power struggle. Yeah. And that dynamic <clears throat> creates chaos in a marriage because it's not God's blueprint. Yeah. Um, and so while there's so many dynamics that go into that, um, I think that that's a great answer for it is the, the sense of control um, is probably one of the biggest things that causes men to become spectators. Because as a man, I can tell you that if... If you were to take the approach of always nitpicking, always criticizing, always wanting to take the control, always wanting to make the decisions, always wanting to be in charge, eventually I would get tired of dealing with it and I would just throw my hands up in the air. And I would say, fine. And I think that's what many men have done today is they've thrown their hands up in the air and they said, fine. Happy wife, happy life. I'll just make you happy with whatever I can and then life will be at peace. And I don't have to deal with your nagging. I don't have to deal with anything that's going on. Um, I can just sit in the stands and be a spectator. But that is not what God has called men to do. Um, and so I think the practical ways of even helping in that, is, as, you, as you touched on, is huge. Of realizing the position that God has put you in, which I think is... We've, we've twisted that today. We've twisted that even in the church today of what the, the role of a husband and a father is and what the role of a wife and a mom is. We've twisted it and we've made it more culturally sensitive and we've made it more relative to each own's individual desires. That is not the word of God of how it works. That makes truth relative and not absolute. And when we make truth relative, Satan has entrance. And he will absolutely take hold of that. Sure. When truth becomes absolute, he has no way to get in. There's nothing he can do. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, 
or answer. That was a great question, too. You know. Yeah, pat yourself on the yeah, back. Yeah, pat myself on the back for that one. Okay, so your turn. We'll go through a few more. We're trying to keep this at about 30, you know, 40 minutes at most. Just a short, uh, for me, a shorter podcast. Most of mine are usually 45 minutes to an hour. But um, just kind of throw this out there for you guys to help. Hopefully it will be a blessing. Okay, I think this kind of can go on the heels of what we were just talking about. What's your best advice when dealing with conflict between a husband and a wife? Oh, man. Golly. Um, best advice when dealing with conflict between a husband and a wife. Um, well, my mind goes to James 1 where he says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger on that. Um, I think listening is probably one of the biggest components to diffusing conflict, which can be difficult when you're in the moment because your emotions might be high too. Sure. She might have you know, done something that just really got under your skin. Uh, I mean, maybe it's something small. Maybe it's something big. Uh, we could be talking about something about how maybe you like for the, the clothes to be picked up off the floor. She didn't do it when you got home from work and you had a rough day. And now there's conflict because there's something that wasn't done. Or maybe it's just something as severe as adultery, you know. And now all of a sudden you've got this added component that's there that you know, you've got to deal with. Because, I mean, let's just be real and honest with what the Word teaches. It's till death does you part. I mean, that's the reality. You go into 1 Corinthians 7, 39, and go into Romans chapter 7, 1 through 3, and going into various places all throughout the, the, the New Testament that he talks on in a parallel to our covenant with Christ. You've got to find a way to work it out. Yeah. And I think the best way to do it, and it's difficult, I'm not saying that it's an easy thing, but that's where grace comes in, in which you've got to learn how to rely on it. I have to learn how to rely on it, and I have to be able to do better at this on a daily basis. Um, learn to listen. Learn to, to push your emotions aside for a moment to be able to listen to where the other person's coming from. Um, I love that quote I heard. I don't even know who said it, so I can't give proper credit. But someone said once that oftentimes we listen to respond yeah. instead of listen to understand. And yeah. it's, it's helped me like in, in dealing with just relationships across the board. Yeah. Um, being reminded of that and when someone's talking, just am I really listening to understand what they're saying and what's behind it, or am I just listening to create a response yeah. to what they're saying? I think a simple, practical answer would be to listen and to listen well. I mean, we can say, you know, hey, pray together. And I, m- I remember we counseled this couple one time who came to us, and, and their personalities were totally different. He was of the type that's like, we're going to work it out before we go to bed. And she was the type that was like, give me my space, because otherwise <laughs> it's going to be made worse. And I remember he used that scripture of don't let the sun go down in your anger. Um, and I remember, you know, listening to him in this, and I just asked him the question. I said, is that don't let the sun go down on someone else's anger or on your anger? And he was like, well, it's personal. It's on your anger. I said, good. So you need to understand, you need to deal with this anger that you're issuing, but that doesn't mean that you have to deal with it with her. Maybe the best thing to do for her is to give her space and let, it, let her sleep on it. And you deal with your anger that you might have, if there's any there. And so keeping it personalized to say, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Not necessarily somebody else's. Maybe you just need to give her her space. And in the morning, when she's had time to sleep on it, time to, to process it, maybe then you go to her. And so a lot of it is the humility of the situation of realizing it's not about you, it's about them. What could diffuse the situation for them, not just simply for you? 
And so humility and listening are probably the two biggest things of counting the other person more significant than yourself in the moment, which is difficult sure. when tensions are high, emotions are high. Sometimes we're not always thinking about that, but that's the Christian life is to put to death the things of the flesh so that the spirit can come to the top. Um, the flesh and the spirit opposed each other as Galatians five talks on, right? And so, um, allowing the spirit to have the reins rather than the flesh. And some of that comes into of just simply listening, even if in the moment you don't want to, and your emotions are high. And so, and naturally that you're saying that from both sides. Yes, not just absolutely. Speaking from the husband's yep. point of view, but yep. I've, I've done marriage counseling with people before where it's, mm-hmm. uh, I remember what Francis Chan said one time or listened to it. He said this, this couple was coming in, they were talking about all the issues and he just sat and listened and he was just like, I wouldn't want to be married to either one of you. Like he told <laughs> him that. Right. And, and I remember talking, it's like one, uh, a couple that I was counseling, they said, um, I'm not going to respect you until you start loving me. And he said, I'm not going to love you till you start respecting me. And I was like, both of y'all are wrong. Yeah. It's not up to the other person to have to fill the role of do the right thing before you are responsible to do the right thing. You start doing it regardless of the other person. And then that leads them into the right thing. And so I think for marriages out there, you have the responsibility, even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it, whether you're the wife or the husband, do what you're supposed to do regardless of the other person. That's why I think in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, um, submit to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word when they see the respectful and pure conduct of their wives. And so the, the illustration that's there is, even if your husband's not doing what he's supposed to, you do what you're supposed to. And even if your wife's not doing what she's supposed to, you honor her. The responsibility still falls on you. And it's personal. It's not up to you to change the other person. It's up to you to let God change you. And then through that, he'll work through the other person. All right, so here's, here's one that um, I've been waiting on to, to ask. I was going to wait a little bit closer to the end. But does the level of our physical intimacy reflect the quality of our marriage? Mm. Anything about this one? Does the level of our physical intimacy reflect the quality of our marriage? That's a brain teaser. Um, I'll say personally, for us, I think yes. I feel like I should throw in a caveat. But, <laughs> well, and because I think this is an honest answer. Sure. For some people who have large families just because they have a lot of children doesn't mean that they have a great marriage. Right. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't, I'm not saying, well, of course we have a great marriage. We have yeah, but children. notice I didn't necessarily say our, our physical intimacy of just like, um, sex life. I'm not just talking about just the, the, the deed itself. I'm talking about that intimacy, the physical intimacy with one another, which is different for me than what sex is. Sure. Um, sex can be just a, a soulless act. It can be something that's just a deed that's done apart from the emotions even. Um, intimacy is something that I equate to as a oneness. It's something like going into the Greek word koinonia. It's something that is, there's a oneness, there's a unity, there's something in which two souls become one. Um, and so not to get all, you know, super deep on that, um, I wanted to point that out, that it was the intimacy, okay. not just sex itself. No, I think that helps to clarify, not just for me, but maybe somebody else who's listening too. Um, 
I think that our our physical intimacy has grown as as the quality yeah. of our marriage has grown. So I would say yes, um, just a simple answer. But I think in many ways, um, some of those aspects of physical intimacy, whether it be you randomly texting me throughout the day, hey, how's your day going, um, reminds me that not only do you care, but you love yeah. me and you're thinking about me and, um, and vice versa or, you know, like, however, whatever that looks like, it can be, um, it can be various random ways to connect with each other throughout yeah. the day. Um, but yeah, and in a lot of ways it makes me feel like though I'm home with the children and you're at work, I'm not alone. Yeah. Because really you're still with me and you're right there if I needed something or if I needed prayer for something or if I needed advice about, you know, a sibling squabble that broke out and I'm feeling frustrated and my mind's not <laughs> thinking straight. I need some outside clarity on how to handle this. It's um, a rare occurrence. You're... <laughs> it's not. Um, you're right there. And I do feel like we can still be a team and present a unified front in that and and it helps me a yeah. lot so um, and utilize those elements that we have in technology wise to to do that yeah. you know husbands send your send your wife a text every day ask her how she's doing ask her how her day is going this is one of the things communication is probably one of the weakest elements of most people today we are very poor at communication um and I would say one of the best ways to create physical intimacy, because it's not just the deed. It's not just having, right. it's not just having sex. Physical intimacy is, is promoting oneness. And when you can shoot a random text maybe every day to one another and say, how are you doing today? Um, maybe something of how can I pray for you today? Just those little things go a long way in promoting unity. And when there's unity and oneness, there's intimacy. And for me, I would say they feed off of each other is when your marriage begins getting better, you will become more intimate with one another. And when that intimacy gets better, then you become, your marriage becomes better. And they just can constantly feed off one another, which is why if one is, is weak, the other one will be too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why 1 Corinthians 7 says, do not, um, uh, how does it say it? You're actually in 1 Corinthians 7 right now, so on the previous page, sorry, I know it's on the right page, right-hand column. Um, so down here, um, bear with us. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not, be, may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And what he's talking about is the conjugal rights. He's talking about having sex. All right, That's the concept of what he's stating. He says, do not forbid it from one another. That's something God's created within the marriage covenant to be utilized and enjoyed and as a blessing that ultimately points to the koinonia that we have with Christ as the body of Christ. Um, it was not just for sex that God instituted it. It was for a purpose of procreation, of filling the earth. Um, but it was even more than that. It was a foreshadow to what Christ wanted to do through the body, through the church, be fruitful, multiply, go and make disciples. The, the parallel is the exact same. And so um, without getting like too deep into that and bringing in the analogy and the parallels um, to a further level, the concept of physical intimacy I think is huge. And when husbands and wives 
prevent one another from just, no, I'm, I'm not in the mood, not tonight, I'm too tired, I'm this. And it's always excuse after excuse after excuse, one side or the other. Then you're allowing Satan to come in and tempt. And you're creating things in your own marriage that wouldn't have to be there if you simply just said yes. Yeah, and I you think, know what I mean? just like it said, the wording here I thought was great. In this one it says... Um, may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. Yeah. And it made me think about the aspect of uh, connection point. So if if we can connect at various points throughout the day, be it you text me and ask me how my day is going, or hey, um, I'm praying for you, or how can I pray for you? You come home and I'm cooking dinner and you walk behind me in the kitchen and you just put your hand on my back or whatever. You're sitting at the table um, talking to the children or whatever and and I put my hand on your shoulder all of those different yep. whether they be physical or verbal or even emotional reach out That's great. make some kind of connection to your spouse it's just that constant reminder that I'm still here you're not alone I'm right behind you I have your back um, I'm thinking about you um, I like you even <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, just different for me those are each time you make that connection point um it, it just aids, it follows in into closed doors, and, and vice versa. If you don't have those connection points, the longer time goes by that you don't have a verbal connection point or you don't have an emotional connection point, you don't have a, a put my hand on your knee or you put your hand on my back or whatever, there's not that physical connection point. The longer time goes between those connection points, the the longer time will go between a physical, intimate connection point behind closed doors yeah. or maybe just disappears altogether, yeah. sadly. Um, yeah, I've heard of marriages, multiple marriages, of, of men who have confided in me who have said it's it's been months. And I've even had some who have said it's been years um, since they've been intimate with their wife. And it, it breaks my heart because that is a tool that God has given us, not just for the purpose of being fruitful and multiplying, but he's given it for a purpose of protection within the marriage. Yeah, as he just says in 1 Corinthians 7, so that Satan may not come <clears throat> and tempt you. Sorry, yeah. You know, um, And it breaks my heart, but it, it is something that is happening out in, in marriage today, even in Christian marriages. Sure. Um, it is happening where maybe it's we're too busy. Maybe it's we've lost that connection point. We don't do them anymore. Maybe it's we don't feel like we love the person anymore. We're just in a, a quote-unquote loveless marriage. Um, there's many different ways it's there. And maybe we should just camp out on this topic for a few more minutes because I think it's a vital component because it's such a parallel to the body of Christ and the concept of koinonia, of our intimacy with Christ. If we're not intimate with Christ, if we're not engaged in prayer and engaged in, in fellowship and in His Word, if we're not doing those connection points with Christ then our relationship is hindered. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't hear his voice quite as well. We don't, um, all those things are now hindered in our relationship because we're not doing the connection point. So I don't want to make marriage like the, the main focus. Um, to, I don't want anyone to think that that's the main focus that God's looking right. at. Is everything needs to focus on the marriage. No, but marriage is an important focus that we do need to look at because it has such a great parallel to the greater thing of Christ and his church. Um, how, in your opinion, um, in those times where, say, maybe the connection points are not happening, maybe the husband isn't coming in and he's not putting his hand on his shoulder, but then maybe behind closed doors he wants to become intimate, but you don't feel it. 
You're not feeling that oneness. You're not feeling that intimacy um, emotionally with him. How do you handle that if you don't feel up to it? If you don't feel like you, you want to engage in, in sex, how do you handle that as a wife um, if there's those moments in your life where you just, it's like, I don't feel like doing it? Um, there's probably um, times where I... Maybe you're nine months pregnant and... Physically <laughs> exhausted. Right? Uh, no, I mean, just like with spiritual disciplines, I think there's going to be times when I don't always feel like reading right. my Bible, Good. but I do it because I know it's the healthiest thing for my relationship in abiding with the Lord. And so, it's a great parallel. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's times when physically I will, um, I will give myself, um, even if I don't feel like it and all the while try to Maybe mentally, I'm just praying, asking the Lord to help me see it as an opportunity to serve rather than be served. Hmm. And um, and I think even being willing to say later on or whatever, maybe not in the moment, but asking the Lord to open a door to to talk about, hey, I've really missed our emotional connection yeah. points, and That's bringing great. that up, um, and being honest and just saying. You know, I thrive on these emotional connection points, and it makes me more excited about these physical connection points later on. Um, and I think I was I was thinking about a few minutes ago, just um, talking about the aspect of making these connection points, and the longer you go without them, the more time goes in between physical. And I don't think I mean, there's probably not a whole lot of marriages that in an adultery because someone just decided, you know what. I'm going to go look for someone else yeah. as much as it starts with those simple emotionally you don't feel fulfilled or connected anymore. Great and point. so you find that emotional fulfillment with someone else. Likewise with the church. If you stop feeling connected to the body of Christ yeah. and you then you stop abiding in your relationship with the Lord, then suddenly you don't hear his voice. You don't feel like you're serving any purpose. Um, and you begin to wonder, why do I keep doing this if I don't feel anything? And then you look to the world to find that fulfillment. And you, you end up finding yourself one day looking back going, how did I get here? And yeah. I think people do that physically, too, in their marriages and yep. in relationships. And it's all really, it is really just a parallel and a picture of one another. And while we, while we should highly protect the marriage bed, as the word says, and protect those relationships within that marriage, um, we would do well to do the same with the body of Christ and with the church. Yeah. I mean, even to For a greater spiritual health. Yeah, even to a greater, like in Ephesians five, yeah. when it talks about a man shall leave his father, and mother, and hold fast to his wife. This mystery is profound. I say it refers to Christ and the church. However, so he says, even though that this was actually a prophecy and something that was pointing towards something greater of Christ and His church and holding fast to that union that's there. Um, however, make sure that the husband loves his wife and that the wife submits to her husband. Um, we still have to focus because one affects the other. If we, do, if we don't do it well in the marriage, then we probably won't be doing it well with Christ in this church. Right. You know, which is why I think that's the qualification even for elders. It's not that their family is their first ministry. It's that their family is the first proving ground before God gives them the greater ministry. And so if the husband can't do it in the home, if the husband can't keep his children subordinate, if the husband can't you know, keep his, his wife where she needs to be and can't keep the family intact, pursuing Christ, all these various things, then what makes you think he's going to do it with the, with the precious pearls of heaven that God looks at his church and says, that's my beloved. 
Right. I'm not going to give you charge of her if you can't do it with something as basic as your marriage. So it's not that the family is the first ministry. It's, it's the first proving ground for the ultimate ministry of God and his church. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's, um, we'll kind of finish and wrap it up there. If, um, you know, the, the concept of physical intimacy and all that stuff is not necessarily like a comfortable topic for me, but I felt like that's kind of where it went. And I felt like there was a lot that, that God wanted us to kind of camp out there on because I don't know who's going to listen to this and what's going on, but hopefully this was a blessing to you. Hopefully this was something that you guys um, could glean some wisdom from, from whether it's from past failures that we've had that, that you know, um, have led to some things or the victories that we've had, mm-hmm. that the success that we've had, the things that God has done in our marriage as we've yielded to him and as we've said, our life belongs to you, our marriage belongs to you, our kids belong to you. They are yours for us to instruct them and to live out this marriage in a way that honors and glorifies you in accordance with your word. As we have done that, God has made our marriage successful. And he's made it to where, not that it hasn't had failures, not that it hasn't stumbled along the way at times, but that it has progressively gotten stronger over the last 21, going on 22 years. Um, and that is something that you know we were talking about just the other day. Why do we have all these ministries that just want to focus on man's failures. And we just want to come together and we just want to talk about, hey, I failed again today and here's where I've been struggling and here's where I've messed up. And here, and everything is geared towards that. Why don't we have places and, and, and ministries and avenues for people to come and be like, here's what God did today. Here's what God's done in my marriage. Here are the victories that I've got in life. And we just come and we just share about the power of God rather than just the weakness of flesh. Where are those? Our marriage is where it's at today. Because of God. Yeah. It has not been because we are just two compatible people who have just chosen to be happy in life and chosen to pop out a bunch of kids and, and enjoy the benefits of marriage. It's because we've yielded ourselves to, um, to the word of God for the, for the benefit of God, the glory of God. Um, and as we've done that, he has made our marriage successful. And so this podcast is not necessarily just how can you have a successful marriage. It's how can God get glory from your marriage. That may be a better way of titling this thing. So hopefully this was a blessing to you. Hopefully this is something that you can take and implement into your own marriage, some of these things. And if it's something that maybe you're like, hey, I would really like to hear more, please let us know. And and. I don't know what the future is going to hold in these podcasts. I've got tons of material for you to be stuck on ingesting the word of God um, taught from my mouth for probably a solid year. I mean, there's hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of stuff. And I don't even know how long this podcast channel will be up um, because it is a costly thing. And we don't have donations. We don't have people who are just being like, hey, you know, we're going to fork over the money for you guys to have this podcast channel because it's like, I think it's like 150 bucks a year. Um, and when you have a family of 10 with another one on the way, that's a lot of money. Um, and so all that to say this, if this is a benefit to you, let us know. Um, I would like to start doing more podcasts with my wife because I think that, as you guys can tell, there's a lot of wisdom that's just dripping from her. I mean, she's got a ton of wisdom because she has sought the author of wisdom um, for the better part of the last 15 years of her life. And so there's a lot she has to offer. And I would love to do podcasts with her, topical things, going through book studies, whatever it might be. Um, 
and talking about things like this. And so if this was a blessing to you, let us know. Um, and we would love to do a follow-up one to this if it would be something that's of, of benefit to you as the Lord leads. And so hopefully this was a blessing. And uh, look forward to hearing some feedback from you guys and um, maybe even stories about how God used this in your life and in your marriage to, um, to bring a successful marriage in the glory of God. Yeah. And so yeah. hope you guys have a blessed day.